0: lovely to have you here. My name is Mark. I'm one of the pastors here as well. And uh, it's my privilege this morning uh, to be speaking to you from the Bible for a few minutes. We're going to have a think about uh, that story from Matthew's gospel, the story of the birth of Jesus. So how about we spend a moment in prayer and then we'll have a think together. Let's pray. Our great God, we thank you for this beautiful Christmas day and for time to focus on the meaning of Christmas. Please be with us now and help us to see and to understand what Christmas is really about. Amen. Uh, Well, I want to start this morning uh, by asking you if you had to choose an image, one image to sort of capture, to to encapsulate Christmas, what would be the image that you would choose? What would come to mind for you? If you you had that task, one image, Christmas. What is it that comes to mind for you? Think back through your maybe your news feeds over the last couple of weeks. Uh, think back, maybe the photos that you've snapped on your phone in the last few days. What is the image for you that best sums up Christmas? I've got a few suggestions for you. They're going to come up on the screen. A few suggestions, maybe uh, first suggestion, uh, it's a bit dark to see, but there's a carols service there. Maybe maybe carols is what you think of. There's Christmas encapsulated, people singing in joyful harmony, holding candles or at best glow sticks perhaps. Maybe it's carols, that's what, what you think of or maybe next one uh, maybe it's the presents under the tree hands up anybody who's already opened some presents this morning Uh, okay look around these are the people without any self-control busted we know who you are now (laughs) maybe it's Christmas presents for you that, that that sums up Christmas or maybe maybe it's the Christmas lunch maybe your your tummy is grumbling already you've skipped breakfast because you want to leave as much room as possible for all the delicious ham and turkey and prawns you're going to be eating after this church service Maybe those are the images that came to mind for you. There are three possibilities. Uh, But I actually want to suggest to you one image that I think sums up Christmas. An image that really does capture what Christmas is all about. It's an image that was taken just about 48 hours ago. An image that I only recently saw on the news. This is the image. It's an image of a woman in Indonesia sitting on a pile of debris where her house once stood, after the tsunami had come in and devastated everything. It's a powerful image, isn't it? It's a sad image. All of that mess, all of that brokenness, the confusion that you feel looking at this woman's face. Uh, personally, I've never been through anything even remotely close to a situation this serious. But I imagine that this woman... And that many others in Indonesia this Christmas Day, as they try and gather up the pieces of their life and and make sense of what comes next, that women like this are asking questions this Christmas Day, questions like, why? Why has this happened? Why have I had to go through this? Now, I suspect that every single person here has, in some way, shape or form, asked that kind of a why question in 2018. In some way, shape, or form, I would, I would bet that every single person here has asked that question. Why has this happened to me? Why hasn't this happened to me, but it's happened to someone else? Why do I have to go through all this pain? Why, why, why does all of this, this brokenness exist in the world? How am I supposed to make sense of that? I would, I would guess that most people here have asked those kinds of why questions. Now, this is an odd image for me to suggest to you, that it sums up Christmas. But really, what this image gets at is at the heart of Christmas, the heart of the reason why we need Christmas, why we need Jesus, that baby born in the manger 2,000 years ago. So let me ask you again, what was the image that came to mind for you when I asked you to sum up Christmas? Maybe you went the, uh, the more traditional route. Maybe this was the kind of image that you had in mind, the, the manger with the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths. Maybe you zoomed out a little, you had the picture of the stable, the animals gathered around, the angel choir Hovering overhead. Maybe that was your image of Christmas. Uh, I wonder if you noticed something odd when we read the Bible just a few minutes ago. I wonder whether you noticed something odd about the images that Matthew, the gospel writer, chooses to show us of Christmas in his account. Did you notice them? Did you notice in, in Matthew's story, those verses we read, there's no stable mentioned, there's no manger, there's no farm animals. There's no shepherds, there's no angel choir, there's no little Lord Jesus in Matthew's story. That, all that stuff is picked up in Luke's gospel, the next book of the Bible. And we do get the wise men in Matthew's account, but they're in chapter 2. And by that time, Jesus has grown up and he's a little toddler. Uh, but what we get here, what Matthew chooses to give us, the image he chooses to present to us is surprising because what it is, is a teen pregnancy scandal. Look at verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now, we we need to remember that this is not like Australia in 2018 where near half of all children are born to unmarried mothers. No, this was a real big scandal back in the ancient world. I know why Sarah chose to skip over this part of the story in the kid's spot because this is the controversial part. Teen pregnancy scandal. And in fact, this is, this is something like out of a Jerry Springer episode. You ever watch Jerry Springer? Put yourself into Mary's shoes at the beginning of this story. Imagine how Mary felt as she got this news of a divine pregnancy. Who do you think Mary told first? Did she tell her mum? Did she tell her best friend? Did she tell Joseph? How would she have told Joseph? Would she have texted him? Would she have just blurted it out? Would she have organized to have Joseph sit down and say, Joe, I've got some news I need to tell you. It's big. Take a breath. I'm pregnant and the baby's not yours. How do you think she would have felt? How do you think Joseph would have felt hearing this news? Hearing Mary's words slam into him like a sledgehammer? You're what, Mary? How did this happen? The confusion, the anger, the denial, the the pain, the grief, the why questions that Joseph would have been asking at this point. Verse 19, it tells us that uh, Joseph is a good man, but he's not a fool. He didn't want to expose Mary to public disgrace, and so he had in mind to divorce her quietly. I mean, you can really feel the mess of this episode, can't you? It is a a messy episode heartbreaking scandal that we jump into here if this was uh, Jerry Springer at this point then uh, there would be a lie detector test wheeled onto stage the envelope with the DNA test results would be opened and all would be revealed And, and, and in verse 20 of our story it's kind of the equivalent of that obviously no lie detectors no DNA tests back in the ancient world but what we do get in verse 20 is the angel revealing that Mary is in fact telling the truth And that the DNA does not belong to Joseph. In fact, it doesn't belong to any man on the planet. It belongs to God himself. Verse 20. After he, Joseph, had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. It's kind of hard to hear those words free from whatever you've already understood of Christmas. But imagine hearing these words for the first time. Your wife-to-be, she's got a baby inside her, and it's God's son. That's just bizarre, isn't it? It is totally bizarre. And so if you were hearing these words, in fact, if you are hearing these words for the first time today, then I reckon I know what you're thinking, or at least what you should be thinking. You should be thinking, this sounds completely unreal. It cannot be true. There must be some other explanation. Aha, I've got it. I know what happened. Some Bogan teenager has hooked up with her ex. They've got knocked up, and then they've invented a story to cover their tracks, and before they know it, they've accidentally invented Christianity. That's what you should be thinking at this point, because that sounds more plausible than what's being claimed here, isn't it? This is so bizarre. I wonder, are you convinced by this story? Are you convinced by what's being claimed here? Personally, I am convinced about the truth of this. I'm convinced that this child really was God's son, because I'll tell you why, because Joseph was convinced. Later in the story, verse 24, Joseph agrees to take Mary as his wife. I'm convinced that this is true because of Matthew's gospel account, the book that we are reading from. If Matthew was inventing this stuff, he wouldn't choose to put the scandal and the disgrace and the shame right up front in his story. That's not how you invent a narrative. No, he would have polished it up a lot before he wrote it. I'm convinced that this is true because of the the millions of Christians over 2,000 years who've been convinced and who have based their lives on the fact that God has supernaturally knit together 46 chromosomes inside Mary's womb. I'm not saying it's not weird. It's properly weird, isn't it? But as you read Matthew's gospel, actually, the the weirdness just keeps on going in Jesus' life. There is no getting around the weirdness. One commentator says that Christmas is an explosion of supernatural weirdness. I think that's a good summary, really. But that's the point, in fact. If you realise that, that's the point. All of this weirdness is designed to be like a, a big neon sign pointing us to Jesus and saying, look at him. The weirdness is supposed to get us to understand why Jesus came, why we need Jesus, why we need Christmas. And so what Matthew is doing in this story is he's trying to to flush out, trying to get rid of all those old images of Christmas that you have in your heads. And he's trying to replace it with a right image of Christmas, a right image of Jesus. Two images, in fact, Matthew is really trying to impress upon us, And they're listed for us in the passage uh, in relation to the names that are given to Jesus in the passage. So, let's have a look at the two names that are given to Jesus in this story. The first name there, the first image, is of Jesus the Rescuer. That's what Matthew wants us to see first and foremost. Jesus the Rescuer. Verse 21. The angel tells Joseph that Mary is to give him the name Jesus. Now, when, uh, when my wife, Catherine, and I uh, were trying to choose names for our kids, we had a really tough time of it. It did not come easily to us. Perhaps it says something about our indecisiveness, but we tried everything we could to come up with names. Uh, we, we asked people. We went online to those baby name generators. We read books. It's like reading a dictionary, books of baby names. We got so desperate, we even started scouring the credits of the TV shows we were watching just to see if any names would jump out at us. It was not an easy process. We didn't like it, but it eventually, but when we had our second child, Silas, uh, we managed, after months of agony, to come up with a shortlist of three names, three boys' names that we liked. We didn't know we were having a boy. We didn't have any girls' names chosen at that point, so it was fortunate that he ended up being a boy. Uh, three names that we, we liked, we were choosing between. What should we call this child? As it happened, uh, in the months immediately before Silas's birth, uh, two families here at WBC had baby boys, and they used our number one and number two <laughs> preference names. Uh, and so we had to scratch those off the list. And so we were left with just one option, Silas. Uh, and so we gave him the third place name. Please don't tell him that when he grows up. But you see, for Mary here, there's no debate in the name. There's no choosing. Like it or not, the name's been chosen for her. She is to give this baby the name Jesus. You're to give him the name Jesus, verse 21, because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus means God saves. Jesus, it's, if you don't know, it's a Greek version of the Hebrew name Joshua. That's Jesus' name. Uh, and that translates literally to God saves. And so Jesus comes into this world stamped with a promise. God saves. And let me tell you, Jesus comes as advertised. His name, God saves, tells us what he came to do. I wonder, if I asked you, what was at the heart of Christianity? What is is the Christian religion all about? What would you say? You know, I used to think that uh, Christianity was all about rules and morality and talking to your invisible best friend. But Matthew actually tells us, no, the heart of Christianity is something different. The heart of Christianity is a massive rescue operation. Uh, do you remember earlier this year, I think there was probably no greater rescue in 2018 than the rescue of that Thai soccer team that were trapped in the caves back in uh, June and July. You remember the 12 children and their coach trapped one and a half kilometres underground after floodwaters gushed in and trapped them in that cave system. And for 16 days, the whole world watched with bated breath to see what would become of these people. And plans were made. Rescue efforts were mounted. Navy SEALs tried to reach them by swimming through submerged tunnels, sometimes in stretches 300 metres at a time. They described it as like swimming through coffee. And do you remember the footage? Actually, that, that shot down the bottom, it's a bit dark, but it's a still shot from the footage of the time that the Navy SEALs first emerged into their little cavern and shone the light onto that soccer team. They first emerged... And saw the children. It was a glorious video. You can watch the footage on YouTube. In the the pitch blackness, this bright light shines onto these children. And they know in that moment that they are rescued. Now, as, as amazing as that rescue was, I want to say this morning that it's just a shadow of the rescue that Jesus came to do rescue operation that Jesus came to earth for it started when he was born in that manger and it concluded 33 years later seven kilometers from where he was born as Jesus hung to die on a cross it ended at Easter and so you see in a strange way the Christmas story is really about Easter if you grasp that Jesus was born, and as wonderful as that is, it's an incomplete picture unless we understand that Jesus was born to die, born to rescue us. Rescue us from what, you might be asking? It's a good question. At the very least, to rescue us from this broken world that we're living in. I suspect that I probably don't need to convince you this morning that our world is broken. If you don't think our world is broken, go and speak to a paramedic. Go and speak to a doctor. Go and speak to a policeman or a social worker. Our world is well and truly broken, and we need a rescue. That's why we need Christmas. We need a rescue, don't we, when we get the doctor's bad news? We need a rescue when we get that redundancy letter, when we get those, those long, lonely silences in our lives, and we cry out and We say, why? Why is this happening to me? Why all the pain? Why me? Why, why can't I make sense of this? We need a rescue, and so we need a rescuer. Do you know that our, our whys, those cries that we, we cry out, they're really just calls for a rescuer. Our world, it, it, it offers to us a bunch of different rescue options, a bunch of different saviours, but I'm, I'm telling you that there's only one saviour who does what he claims to do. You are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. You know that all all of the the brokenness of this world, all of the pain, all of the mess, all of the hurt that we see and we feel and we experience in our lives, all of those things, terrible as they are, they're just the symptoms of the problem, (coughs) symptoms of the root cause. And Matthew tells us what the root cause is here. The root cause is sin. Jesus arrived at Christmas to deal with our sin, sin. Now, I'm conscious as I say that word, uh, it's not a very popular kind of happy Christmas word to say, is it? Uh, using the, the S word, it's a big nasty church word. It's a word that makes us feel uncomfortable, makes us feel criticized if we start talking about sin. I think it's fair to say nobody particularly likes the word sin, but I think it's also fair to say that most people have a wrong understanding of sin. Most people trivialize sin. To most people, I think uh, they 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 would assume that sin is like Eating a few too many mince pies before lunch on Christmas Day. we shouldn't have done that. Sin is that minor indiscretion that you get up to on an overseas holiday. You know, it's naughty but fun. That's what most people think sin is. But if that's what sin is, let me ask you, friends, why would Jesus have needed to descend to earth to die for that? Doesn't make any sense, no. Sin is something much more serious than that. The, The essence of sin is an attitude of resistance to God. Resistance to God. Properly understood, sin is actually rebelling against God. It's, it's holding our Creator at arm's length, uh, whether that's intentionally or not, and it's about cutting ourselves off from the God who made us, created us, and, and choosing to live life our own way. And that's the reason why our world is broken the way it is, because of our hearts, our sin. Matthew tells us Christmas happened to rescue us from our sin and its consequences so that we don't have to spend an eternity cut off from the God who is life and the source of all goodness. Jesus has come to rescue us. So friends, do you see how foolish it would be to say no to that rescue, to say no thanks? Can you imagine that Thai soccer team in the cave? The first time the Navy SEALs pop their heads up out of the water, the soccer team say, oh, no thanks, we're good. We'll, We'll chance it on our own. No, they would never do that. That would be crazy, wouldn't it? Why would you reject a rescue offer like that? Do you know, in the same way, it would be a grave mistake to ignore Jesus' rescue. Jesus is the rescuer. That's the first image Matthew wants us to have at Christmas. Secondly, and more briefly, the second image Matthew wants us to leave, to leave us with uh, is, is that clue in, in Jesus' second name in the passage. Do you, did you catch it? Verse 23, 22 and 23. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's our second image. Jesus is God with us. Uh, Personally, I think Emmanuel That's a beautiful name. It's a great name. More people should name their children Emmanuel. Uh, It wasn't one of the three names that was on our shortlist for our son. Uh, I didn't want my son to have that kind of pressure on his shoulders, being named God with us. Uh, It is a great name, Emmanuel, but what it's great for is because of what it means, what it stands for. The name Emmanuel, which means God with us. What is that telling us? It's telling us that baby in the manger is God creator of the universe, come down, knit together in human flesh. God himself conceived in a scandal, born into an animal feeding trough. That's the claim of Christmas. That this, this baby is the one who flung stars into space. This baby is the one who created you. This baby is the one who has given you breath every day of your life and who has sustained you every single day. Moment, And that this baby was born into poverty, hardship, and insignificance. Can you wrap your head around that? That this was the way that the God of the universe chose to write himself into the story. You know, when, uh, when Prince Harry and Meghan Markle are going to have their baby next year, there's going to be a lot of fanfare surrounding it, isn't it? Uh, that baby is going to be born, no doubt, in the best hospital, have the, the best medical care from day one. Uh, that baby will have every luxury imaginable given to it. He will be honored he or she will be honored and adored by all. That's just normal for when royal babies are born, isn't it? All of, all of that glitz and glamour? How was it that the king of the universe was born? Well, none of that. There's a, there's a church that you can go to in Bethlehem, uh, in the town of Bethlehem, today, if you wanted to. You can go and visit this church. It's called the Church of the Nativity. It's quite beautiful in an ancient kind of way. You can probably see it better on the TV screens. Uh, to get into this church, though, you have to enter through a very funny door. It's called the Door of Humility. Uh, this is the door. It's a very short door. To enter into the Church of the Nativity, you quite literally have to get down on your hands and knees to get under this small little archway. And it's not just a case of bad planning on the the designers of the the church's part. It's quite a deliberate choice to make the door this small because they're trying to convey something about the way that God entered the world. How did God enter into the world? On his hands and knees, in the dirt. Do you understand that, friends, that God comes to us at Christmas in humility? He comes meek and mild, not with all that glitz and glamour, He comes as a defenceless baby, not as a tyrannical, conquering tyrant. That should cause us to marvel, shouldn't it? (coughs) Do you know that that God's entry into the world in this way has such monumental implications for us? Have you grasped some of those implications? Do you know what this means? That That Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. It means, friends, that we know what God is like. We know what God is like. We don't need to play those kind of guessing games when it comes to God. You know, there's no shortage of opinions in the world about what God is like. You ask a friend, hey, who do you think God is? They'll have an opinion for you because everybody does. But Christianity, Christmas, tells us, no, we don't need to go and ask for anybody else's opinion of God. All we need to do is look at a person. Look at the person of Jesus because he is God. God with us, Emmanuel. I wonder, have you ever stopped and looked at Jesus? I mean, I mean, really looked at Jesus. Have you done that exercise? Or have you always just taken somebody else's opinion of Jesus as your own? Maybe this Christmas, you're realising that actually Jesus might be worth a second glance. Well, if so... I want to say to you, to take a closer look at Jesus, you don't have to go far. You just have to open the Bible and read for yourself. Meet Jesus in the pages of the Bible. Maybe start reading Matthew's gospel, the gospel that this story comes from. It's a great place for you to start to form an opinion of Jesus. If you don't have a Bible, we have free Bibles on the welcome table out there. We would love for you to take one. It would be a Christmas gift to you. That would be a great way for you to meet And investigate Jesus. Or let me also take this opportunity to invite you, friends, to a course that we run here at Wollongong Baptist, the course called Discover. It's a course where, over a few weeks, we investigate the claims of Jesus. People who are curious about who this child, king, savior is, come along and ask questions in a a safe kind of environment. Uh, We're gonna be running Discover a whole bunch of times throughout the year. Early 2019 will be the first one. Uh, we would love it if you would like to come. Come and speak to us. We can give you the details. We run that course because we believe that Jesus shows us exactly what God is like. And so it's worth really taking a look at him. This child being Emmanuel, it not only tells us what God is like. You know what else it tells us? It tells us that God knows what life is like for us. God knows what life is like For us, you know, God is not some distant deity sitting up there on a cloud, disconnected from the world, throwing down catastrophe after catastrophe and watching us scurry in fear. Emmanuel, God with us, tells us that God knows what it's like to cry our tears. Emmanuel means that God knows what it is like to feel our pain, to walk in our shoes, to experience those why moments. God knows. It's amazing And and do you understand that 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 completely transforms those "why" moments that you ask in your life, because you realise that you're not going through them alone. God has gone through them too, and He perfectly understands in that moment. He's not a distant God who doesn't get it. He knows how you're feeling because He has been here, in person, in the person of the Lord Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. So. What does this mean for us? It means that we can know what God is like. It means God knows what life is like for us. And then thirdly, and probably best of all, Jesus being Emmanuel is a promise to us that God will be with us 24-7. It's a promise made to the Christian, made to someone who submits to King Jesus, that we would never be alone that those why moments that we go through in life, that we, we would never go through them alone, that God would always be with us. And that is extraordinary, isn't it? That God would, would make a promise like that to, to cleave himself to us. It's a bit like, I think, the promises that you make when you're getting married, when you're, you're standing up there and you're saying to this other person, I will be with you in this life no matter what. Richer for poorer, sickness, health, to love and to cherish Till death do us part. Only with with God being with us in Emmanuel, even death cannot separate us from his promises. Emmanuel means that God will be with us 24 7. Now, I want to be clear here. Being a Christian is not a promise to a trouble free life. That's not the promise here. If anything, we expect that following Jesus will come with its own costs. But Christians are promised that they will never be alone, no matter what. That the God of the universe will be with them. And that is nothing short of scandalous. But it's true. that In those dark times, in the why moments, God is with you. It's a promise to the Christian and it's a promise to anyone because it is free and open for anyone who would trust in Jesus today. So as I finish and as our service comes to an end, and as you go out the door and get on with the rest of your Christmas today... I want to encourage you, friends, to do what Joseph did, to consider these things. Think about them. Weigh them. Assess them. Form your own opinion on them. Consider who Jesus is. Consider him as a rescuer. Consider him as God with you. And let Matthew's images overwrite the old images you had of Christmas and replace them with this surprising, gracious, loving God who is born to rescue us, to give us a rescue we all so desperately need, but none of us deserve. The creator of the universe who created you, who created the stars, and who walks with you, who knows you and surrounds you with his love. So my challenge for you today is to consider these things and to ask you, will you walk with him? Will you walk with this Jesus this Christmas? Let me pray for us. Lord God, we thank you so much for the birth of your son, Jesus. We thank you that he came to rescue us from our sin, though we didn't deserve it, that he grew and he lived and he died on a cross so that we could be reconciled to you. And we thank you for your promise to us in Jesus that you will always be with us. Please help us to know the peace that comes from having you with us 24-7. We pray in Jesus' name.